everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live here at Love Walk. And I'd like to thank you so much for joining me this uh, day. I hope you are doing well. Um, today we're going to come together as we normally do to go into the Word of God to find practical application for our lives. And so today I want to talk about something that I think um, really concerns everyone on the planet, and that is the idea of doing good. Um, and let's go ahead and look at what the Bible says. I want to talk about doing good. So we're going to go to our anchor, anchor text. It's going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18. And we're going to start at verse eight, um, verse 11. And we're going to read down to verse 12. So let me go ahead and start here. Now, therefore, go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus said the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, and devise a device against you. Return you now every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. Um, and then, of course, it says in uh, verse 8, 12, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. So I think this is a very powerful verse, a couple of scriptures, and it's it's one of those scriptures that kind of makes you kind of scared. I mean, whenever I read scriptures like that, it just gives me a little chill. But if we look a little bit more closely, I think there's something really beautiful that's emerging from this verse. The most beautiful thing that I can see is that the Lord is giving a warning to uh, Judah and Jerusalem. And I think that's really important because a lot of times we forget the fact that when God warns, he's doing it out of love. He's doing it because he actually cares about people. He loves them so much. If we can remember the story of Jonah, when he was sent to Nineveh, you know, he didn't want to do it, but God loved those people so much that he had to actually have Jonah swallowed by a whale. And he went through all of these, you know, trials because he needed him to go there and to tell those people, to warn those people. And the specific reason that Jonah didn't want to go was because he knew that God was faithful and he was merciful and he was just. So one of the things that I think is critical in Jeremiah 18, 11 is that he says, make your ways and your doings good. Look how simple it is to just kind of change things, to kind of, you know, change anything that's been pronounced. All that horrible pronouncement. He said he's framing evil. He's devising a device. But he's telling them that right now you have this option to change that. I won't do that if you make your ways and your doings good. So the bottom line is do good. And you want to do that from your heart. We really have to think about what that means to stop doing evil and plotting vain things. Um, and, and, and to realize that God sees everything. That he has the power to pull down or to pluck up and to remake us like a potter like a, a pot on a potter's wheel he can do that in an instant 
you know, but I, I think it's really powerful, you know, after saying this, he, he tells them, you know, I've got all these things that are going to happen, but I need you guys to change. I will need you to do good. And it, their response is really what's powerful here. It just kind of blows me away. They say in Jeremiah 18, 12, they say there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we, everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Think about that. That's so powerful. Um, this idea of, of walking after the imagination of one's evil heart is a concept that's throughout many scriptures in the Bible. You can find it in Genesis um, 8 and 21. You can find it as early as Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. And God talks about the imagination of mankind's evil heart. And it's easier, it's really important for us to understand that it is easier to decide to do evil than good. We have a propensity for it. It's called sin and it's in the flesh and it's there always beckoning to us. Um, when God was talking to Cain, he said sin is crouching at the door. That means it wants to devour you. It wants to have mastery over you. And so we know the scripture where it says that without hope, the people cast off restraint and then they just do what feels right, what they want to do. And I know that's a very a familiar trope, do what feels right. A lot of people are doing that today. And, you know, doing what feels right in that moment is not always the thing that is right, whether it's for people, other people, or ourselves. Oftentimes the things that we do um, that we know are not right, those things come back to hurt us and they come back to cause great pain, physical, mental, psychological, social um, distress in our lives. And they said there is no hope. And I think that's something really important to remember is that sometimes, you know, people feel like there's no hope. And so they resort to you know, doing many horrible things because they don't believe that there's a better tomorrow. And I think that's what God is all about. Imagine a people who have given up the possibility or the hope to do good. What a terrible place to be. With God, there is always hope. They fail to understand that obedience to his word, that was hope. That God looks and sees a man who changes his ways. He says, go and sin no more. This means there is life after sin. There is life after the transgression. There is life after calamity. And I think a lot of times people just throw their hands up and give up. We're in a difficult time. I'm in a difficult space. So I'm just going to do anything. You know, I'm going to eat anything. I'm going to live any old kind of way. I'm going to do this with this person here, or I'm going to find myself over here because there's no hope. It's that idea that there's no hope. That's really what gets a lot of people. And if you look at uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 13, I want you to think about what we miss when we give up hope and we start kind of doing certain things that go against God's word. So we're going to read now in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and rend your heart and not your garments and turn to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repents him of the evil 
So it's saying, tear your heart and not your garments. You know, back in the old days when something terrible was happening, people would just sort of tear their garments in just distress. And people who are under great distress sometimes will do that. But he's saying, don't tear your garments. He's saying, tear your heart. He's saying, break your heart for the Lord. And I want to know who has a broken heart for God? Who laments his absence? You know, we may weep for a lover or a lost child, but what about the Lord? People nurse wounded hearts for lost loves and lost children for decades, but no one laments the hurting that we do when we hurt God by disobedience, by hurting his innocent humanity and cursing his name, using it in vain. Quite frankly, our, priori our priorities are off, scattered and confused. Let's look now, we're going to move from 13 to um, 14, Joel 2 and 14, it says, Who knows if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering to the Lord. God will leave you a meat offering to give to himself. That's, that's really too much. God provides to us even the gift that we would give him. Not only will he turn from what he is intended to do to a wicked man, he will even leave a blessing behind. Who is that loving and kind? Like, seriously, who does that? Let's go ahead and read down to uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 15. God says, call a solemn fast. Be serious about turning back to God and, 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 and doing what is right. Think about that. These are ways that we can come back. These are ways that we can change things. People are always asking, what are the solutions? What can I do to get back right with God? What can I do to, you know, reach the heart of God? Well, he's telling you now. He says, call a solemn fast. He says, be serious, you know, being serious uh, about turning back to him. We have to be serious about turning back to God and doing what is right from the babe to the bride. And I hope you have a chance to read Joel chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, even the babe, he says, everyone, if you're nursing a baby, if you're a bride, he's telling everybody, come on back. Let's get things together. Stop whatever you're doing and sit before the Lord. And in the same manner that the people of Nineveh turned at the hearing of Jonah. Think about how power that, powerful that was, that the whole country, you know, if you can read, if you read in Jonah, after he, you know, preached to them, after um, Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh, the king said, everybody, everybody, let's all fast. Let's all, even, he even commissioned that all of the animals would, would be in sackcloth and ashes. I don't even know how that works, but think about how, how hu hu humble that was and how much humility that was. Let's go to Joel 2 and verse 23. It says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. God will turn things. Remember we spoke of the former and latter rain before um, in the reaping? 
the reaping comes, the question is what kind of harvest one gets. Everyone gets a harvest, but what will it be? Here in Joel, we see a different kind of harvest. I'm going to move on down from 23. I'm going to skip to um, verse 25 in Joel chapter 2. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. You know, not all armies are made of men. Some are made of disasters. Some are made of plagues and misfortunes, tragedies and loss. Some are made of both. But it's important to know not all armies are made of men. You know, if you read to Joel 26 and 32 in chapter 2, it, says, it talks about God's mercy for, for us turning to righteousness. How can he be so kind? He is well prepared to bring peace, abundance, and restore a robust fellowship with him should we return. Who forgives with such completeness as our God? Who turns and repents of evil so quickly and so thoroughly? Most men, you know, it's difficult for them to forgive. And oftentimes, you know, the relationship is strained until you get past a certain point. And, you know, the return to real fellowship is gradual. But with God, it's not so. God's acceptance, you know, is, is, is totally without anything held back. Wow, God. Wow. There is a difference between forgiveness for an unintentional infraction and an intentional infraction that includes malice. The Old Testament law of the manslayer is an example of one who kills without malice. He flees to the city of refuge. An example might be accidentally like knocking over an expensive vase off of a table versus actually smashing it to the ground during an argument in anger. You know, both require restitution and forgiveness, but one was done with the intent and that makes the forgiveness harder. Our sin is intentional, let's be clear, yet God forgives us entirely and he does require restitution and repentance. He wants us to turn away from our evil and go and sin no more and to give in restitution our life to Christ in his service. Remember, you have to give your life. You have to accept Christ to get that forgiveness. People say, well, the Lord is already forgiven. That forgiveness comes when you receive Christ. And it says in Amos 2 and 11, we're just going to jump back. It says, and I raised up for your sons, I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O you children of Israel? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, prophesy not. So in Amos 2 and 11 to 12, once again, we are looking at what these people are doing to God's holy people. They're, they're trying to give the Nazarite wine. Now, if you don't know what the Nazarite is, a Nazarite isn't like a special tribe, you know, of Hebrew. It's actually like a man who makes a vow to God not to cut his hair, not to drink wine and a couple of other things, you know, he says he's not going to do. And then at the fulfilled time when he has fulfilled his vow 
or whatever that may be may be he cuts his hair and he takes that hair and he brings it to the priest so a Nazarite is considered a holy man during the time of his vow and if you can remember uh, even Samuel was a Nazarite and Samson was a Nazarite that's why when Delilah cut his hair he lost his strength so it's important to understand the Nazarite is real okay they say that um, Samson had seven locks on his head so he had seven dreads you know um on his head dreadlocks on his head and so he was a Nazarite he'd never touched them so I can imagine they were quite long so think about this he's saying that they've given wine to the Nazarite and that they have commanded the prophets not to prophesy so they've corrupted what was good that God set apart the nature and the Nazarite and the prophet. So both were men set apart to God. You know, they didn't want to hear those prophecies. Imagine not wanting to know what was surely coming. I mean, like, that just blows my mind to tell a prophet, shut up. I don't want to hear what you're saying. If he's truly a prophet of God, that's really what's getting ready to happen. So the propensity to seek to silence truth tellers is actually a sign of one's rebellion against God. Think about that for a moment. To not want to hear the truth is a sign of a corrupted heart that wants to go in the way of Cain, to go its own way. You know, it's a pride. It's, it's to lift yourself and what you want and the way that you wish to go above the precious word and will of God. So I think we have to really think about what is happening when people determine that they're going to give up hope and just go do things in their own way. And no matter what could be going on, remember God's word is that hope. Whenever you have God, there's always a hope. It's never the end of the story when you have God. God can raise a man from the dead. He can, you know, revive a friendship that has been dead for years and years. He can revive a love that has grown cold. He can revive a family that has been completely broken apart. He can revive a nation that has fallen to ruins. You just have to keep believing and you have to act on that faith and you have to do God's word. He's saying that quite honestly here. So if you have a chance, I hope you'll read these scriptures in Jeremiah and Amos and also in Joel. I know that these are some out of the way verses, but I think they're powerful tools and stories and, and, and principles and concepts about the way that God acts. God isn't one who holds a grudge forever. It's up to us to change. There's always a door to open. When we are warned to change and do what is right, to do good, that's a warning of love. You know, people talk about love in so many ways, but they don't talk about that patient, consistent love that tells you the truth even when it hurts, even when it doesn't feel so good. And remember, if you don't want to hear the truth, there's a level of rebellion there, a level of pride there that wants to go in your own way, just like Cain. When God told him, this isn't the kind of, you know, sacrifice I want, Cain didn't even, he didn't even attempt to do it right. He just went on about his business. And that is why that sin was crouching at the door. So I pray for you, wherever you are, that you will be pliant in the hand of God and you will do his will. And that whatever thing that you may be doing, whatever thing that may be tempting you, whatever thing that you know is not right, 
I pray that you turn and you do what is right. You make things right. You provide restitution if you've hurt someone or you've done something or you've taken something from someone. You know, I pray that you make things right with God. Um, There's always a way. God always warns us before he devises anything against us, but he is real and he does give us that period. And I hope that you will take that time and listen. The warning of God is the love of God. Thanks so much. God bless.